Take your Bibles and let's run over to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, You'll also want to find Genesis 22. We'll get there eventually. But we want to camp out in Hebrews 11 talking about obedient faith. Looking at this most famous chapter, um, I have really enjoyed the study of Hebrews 11. I don't... I, don't, I tend not to read a, a ton of fiction books. I like biographies better. I like real stories. Um, one of my favorite all-time books, if you're looking for a good book to read on leadership and life, is a book called Endurance. It's the story of Captain Ernest Shackleton. And I think some of you in the room have read that book before, but I encourage you to look at it. This was a guy who was a world explorer. He died at 47 years of age, but he spent his life always looking for the next new place. He was always looking for another land that nobody had seen before and nobody had experienced before, that nobody had really discovered. Uh, what a way to live your life, right? Now, if you read his story, you go, well, I don't want to live that kind of life. But to, not so much in a boat and pursuing all the things he did. But the idea of you're always just kind of looking for that next thing. And I, I, would, I like that. Um, Nathan, my son, called me the other day. We were talking about something. He said, so, Dad, how many cars have you owned? I said, let's not go there. When I, was a, when I was a young man, I was buying and selling. It seemed like every three months I'd find something different and get a different car. And I was just never content. And uh, it's easy for me to always be looking for the next thing. And yet I find the verse in 1 Timothy 6.6 that says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Anybody else in the room that... W- you would do well just to grow a little bit more content in your job, in your home environment, maybe in your calling and in your vocation. And it's interesting to me that the Bible presents so clearly to us that we are called for contentment. And yet at the same time, from the beginning to the end, Scripture is never pointing towards contentment here. It's always pointing towards heaven. It says we're sojourners here. We're just passing through. Matter of fact, there's an old Southern Gospel song. It says, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. This is temporary. My grandfather, he used to always say, I'm ready to go to heaven. I just don't want to get on the next bus. That's why a lot of us live our lives. We're going, yeah, I I think I'll get there one day and I'm looking forward to it one day, but I really don't want to go there right now. And I'm I'm going to encourage us today that Scripture teaches us to keep our eyes fixed on the prize, to keep our eyes fixed on heaven. And I don't have time to unpack all the bad theology that we have about heaven. I'll give you a couple. Don't dread heaven because when you get there, you're not going to be an angel sitting on a cloud. That's good news, okay? 
If anyone ever tells you, well, you know what, when you die, God will get a new angel. God's not going to get a new angel. You're made in the image and the likeness of God. I don't want to go be an angel. I am an heir. We are sons and daughters of the king. The angels were created a little bit lower. We're not going to be an angel. But we're just going to sit around and sing all day. Well, I don't think that's what the Bible talks about. We're going to serve our Lord. It's a city. It's a kingdom. If it's a city and a kingdom, that means that there are citizens. And if there are citizens, that means there are responsibilities. We will have work to do. And I've told you this story before, and I'll tell it to you many more times as long as I'm serving as one of your pastors here. But the old guy that walked up to my dad and said, one day when I get to heaven, I'm going to reach out my hand and shake his hand when I see Jesus face to face. I'll tell you this right now. No, you will not. When we behold Christ face to face, we will fall on our face before him and we will worship him. We're not going to walk up and shake his hand. Are you looking forward to heaven? You got anybody there you're looking forward to seeing? Loved ones that have all gone on before? Are you eager to behold him face to face? This is the journey that we study today. Of our, our, one of our favorite heroes of the faith. Matter of fact, he's mentioned 10 times in the book of Hebrews. This is our guy, Abraham. And we're going to draw Sarah into the picture as well. But if we talk about obedient faith today, we're talking about setting our sights on the realms above. Not being so focused on what we can attain and have and possess here on this earth. You realize everything here is wood, hay, and stubble, right? It all passes away. You don't take any of it with you. But one day we will behold him face to face. C.S. Lewis, the great writer he quoted this. He said, if I, find my, myself, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. That's a good word right there, isn't it? Nothing on this earth will, will satisfy. Nothing on this earth will complete. But one day, one day it will. And I'm longing for the kind of faith in my life and in your life that is so focused not on what we have here and now, not on what we endure here, not on what this world provides for us, but on a city whose builder and maker is God. And that's the passage we study today. I hope you have a faith that is trusting in his promises, that is already assured that everything he said is yes. Did you hear that? Everything he's promised to you and I is already yes. It's already in place. And my prayer is that you and I don't have this generic faith. I want you to have an authentic, genuine faith, not a generic faith that goes, well, I'm just really hoping for this and I'm just kind of praying for that. We don't want to hope so today. We need a know so. We need a know so that what God has said is foundational, it's bedrock. It's based on the character and the truth and the promises of God so we don't back up. So we'll dive into this. We're going to look at 
several verses, 8 through 12, and then we're going to jump back down to 17 through 19. I'll come back and talk more about verses 13 through 16 in another message. But let me give you this, this first point today that helps us set up the text. And the point is simply this. Faith, which is what we're talking about, obedient faith, real faith, looks beyond the present and to the eternal. If you want to have obedient, active, concrete faith today, you're going to look beyond just what we have here today, and you're going to look towards what God has promised and what God has prepared. So here's how we get this. If you've got your Bibles, you're in Hebrews 11, you're going to pick it up in verse 8, and let's just read down to verse 10. It says, by faith, that's important, you're going to see that word repeated throughout the chapter, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. Matter of fact, I would pause right there and, and underline or pay attention to that in some way in your Bible. When he was called, he obeyed. And he set out for a place that he was going to receive an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. We'll come back and talk about that. That's an amazing phrase to me. Verse 9, by faith he stayed as a, as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. There is so much in these couple of verses. When Abraham was called, he obeyed. You will find in Scripture, every time you hear the phrase, here I am, Lord, or yes, Lord, it was an immediate response. When we get over to Genesis 22 in just a few moments, and we look at this famous passage of, the, of Abraham and Isaac, in verse 1, it says, the Lord came to Abraham, and his first response was, here I am. Can I just pause here for a moment? When the Lord is teaching and the Lord is speaking and the Lord is leading, is it your very first response? Is it my very first response to simply stop and go, here I am? And to say here I am means speak, I'm listening, I'm ready. Oftentimes, we will understand the Lord is leading us, the Lord is guiding us, the Lord is directing us, and we go, but you know what? I was thinking about that, Jesus, and, and I think, and we start to give him our plans and our opinions. Now, be honest in the room. Anybody ever thought, you know, if the Lord would just consult with me on this, we could have <laughs> solved these things a long time ago. Faith, authentic, obedient faith, has a response and that response takes us away from just what our immediate concerns are to what the fulfillment of God's plan and will is. It says when he was called, he obeyed. And when it says he set out for a place that he was going to receive inheritance, here's what the, the Greek translation of that means. He packed his bags. He got the U-Haul truck. He loaded up his stuff. He went out, I find this amazing, even though he did not know where he was going. Gentlemen, try to unpack that with your, with your wife. 
Can you imagine six months ago me, me rolling into the house in Danville, Virginia to Sue and go, hey, Sue, we're moving. She goes, where are we going? I don't know. <laughs> what are we going to do when we get there? I don't know. How long is it going to take us to get there? I have no idea. That woman would not have packed a single box, I can tell you. She would have stayed right there in Danville. Can you imagine the faith that it requires to walk into your house and go, I got boxes and tape, but I don't know where we're going. And I don't know how long it's going to take us to get there. But I know God said, let's go. So pack it up and they go. What an amazing thing. Now, it's one thing to go. And again, I don't mean to make personal references. It's just in my, my recent experience, uh, we made, when we were moving up here, some of you were so, so kind and helpful to us. We brought four trailer loads ahead of time of just our stuff. Do you realize the older you get, your stuff has stuff? Anybody in the room? Uh, it, it was amazing. And, you know, I felt good about loading my trailer in Danville. I felt embarrassed about unloading my trailer in West Virginia. Why are you bringing this and why are you bringing that? And where did that come from? We bring stuff with us. But I was ever so excited for the day when we finally got to move into the house and unpack our boxes. You know what that's like, don't you? You ever been on vacation? An extended vacation, you're hauling your luggage around with you for day after day after day. You know what's great about getting home? I don't haul my luggage through the house anymore. I don't have to live out of a suitcase. Here is what is amazing to me. It says when Abraham was called, he obeyed and he went he packed everything up and he left for a place he did not know where he was going and he was a foreigner in the land and he lived in tents all of his life. Now check this out. You think going home and telling your wife you're going to move but you don't know where you're moving to is one thing. Tell her then and we're going to live in a pup tent for the rest of our life. Suitcases is your new home. This requires an amazing faith. Why would you leave everything you have, go to a place that you don't know where you're going, and live in a place and in a way that is uncomfortable? Remember, Abraham has great wealth. When he leaves Mesopotamia and goes to Haran, he's leaving everything and he's leaving a lot. And he lives in the land of promise, living in a tent. That's important. Why in the world would Abraham live in a tent? It tells you in the very next verse. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations. A city that has foundations. That tells us right there. He was looking beyond what this earth would provide. And he was looking towards an eternal home. A city in first century, represented everything that, that, that looked like civilization. It looked like everything that had, that had provisions. A city was built up on foundations. It denoted a permanent residence. 
Do you hear this? Abraham lived in a tent all the days of his journey. Why? Because nothing he had here was going to be permanent. And nothing he had here would provide a foundation. He was looking for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker is God. His eyes were not focused on the earthly. His eyes were focused on the heavenly. Is there a lesson for you and I to learn there today? And while I don't have to draw the circle and try to, to paint you into a corner with this, you know right now where you sit. You know right now in what you value. You know immediately in how you, you put your priorities. Whether or not you think this world is your home or you're looking forward to a city whose builder and maker is God. We need to look beyond the temporal and look to the eternal. When you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, and we'll get to that in a couple of weeks, it says, but as it is, they desire a better country. This is talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's a better country. That is, it's a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. In chapter 13, it says in verse 14, For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking a city that is to come. Have you ever wondered what that city is that's coming? Jesus tells us about it, doesn't he? If you jump over to John chapter 14 real quick, it's a famous passage. John 14, when you start in verse 1, it says, Now don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, Jesus says, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Is that a good word? Where is Jesus today? He is preparing a place for you and I, a city that has foundations, a place that has rooms, a place that is not a tent for temporary dwelling, a place where we live eternally with him. Folks, I promise you, the pressure of this world, the frustrations of the day, the wickedness that, around, uh, that is around us, has a different perspective when we don't think this is home. Can I just tell us, you're not home. This is not home, but it's coming. And I look forward to the day when the eastern sky splits and Jesus says, come on. Do you pray what the... What John prayed in Revelation, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. You only pray that prayer if you're not focused on everything that you have here. Does that make sense? Let me show you a second point today out of verses 11 and 12. Obedient faith is going to require divine power for results. It says in, in verses 11 and 12, by faith, 
Even Sarah. I think that's important. Even Sarah. Because we've got to go back and look at some of the history of her life. By faith, even Sarah, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the only one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, circle the word therefore, therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of the sand along the seashore. You read Hebrews 11 and you go, okay, I see how Abel made it. I see how Enoch got there. And, and that makes sense to me that, who was the next guy? Noah, that he made it. And certainly Abraham, Abraham's the man of faith. He had to make it. But how in the world did Sarah get in here? Do you know the story of Sarah? I think it's so funny when the Lord came and told Abraham that he was going to have a child in his old age, Sarah was listening. And you know what her response was? She laughed. Matter of fact, I think it's, yeah, I have it in the passage, verse eight, chapter 18 of Genesis. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So she laughed to herself. After I am worn out and my Lord or Abraham is old, will I have delight, she says. I think that's so funny. I was in, <laughs> I was in college about to graduate and my mom called she said, Todd, I have news. I said, okay, what's the news? She said, well, I may kill your father. <laughs> I said, <laughs> explain yourself. And she said, I'm pregnant. That was news. That was news. Can you imagine being 90 years old <laughs> and you hear the Lord go, you're going to have a baby. Don't be too harsh on Sarah, right? Because she had the exact same response some of you are having. And she laughed to herself. It's not possible. I'm past the age. I don't have the ability. That can't happen. Here's what I find really amazing. When you look at the passage, you get to verse 13. Remember it says, and Sarah laughed to herself. Is that what it says? But the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? <laughs> you only think. You only think your thoughts are private. The Lord knows everything. He knows what we believe publicly and what we doubt privately. He knows the intents of our heart and our minds. Why did Sarah laugh saying, "I can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is there anything impossible for the Lord? Circle that. Is there anything impossible for the Lord? What do you say about that today? 
Is there? Talk to me, church. How many of you believe there's nothing impossible for the Lord today? Then why are we doubting? Why are we doubting? Why do you think the child will never come back home? Why do you think the marriage will never be restored? Why do you think that hope will never be given? Why do you think you'll never be able to smile again? Why do you think that the Lord has abandoned you and forsaken you? Why are you so overwhelmed? It goes back to Psalm 42, verse 5. Why am I so downcast, O my soul? I will put my hope in you. It requires a divine power. It requires a divine work for us to move from weariness to faith. And can I just say this to you today? It's easy to get weary in the faith journey, isn't it? Here's what I love about this. Everything we find about Sarah is that she's just getting weary. She got weary in the time and the length and how long she was waiting for the Lord to answer this prayer and to provide this promise. She was weary in it, but understand this or maybe even write it down. Weariness does not get the last word of a faith-filled person. When I read Hebrews 11, when I read the other passages of Scripture, nowhere is Abraham and Sarah condemned because of their weariness. You and I may very well have some temporary, temp, can I say that right? Temporary weariness and still have long obedience in the same direction. Thomas doubted. Did Thomas doubt? Unless I see him with my eyes. The Lord did not roll in acting as the little character Edna in the, in the, um, in the Incredibles. God bless you. And you moved again. That's good. You remember that little, that little character? She's about this tall. She jumps up on the table with a little newspaper and she walks up to whoever it is and she says, pull yourself together. The Lord never does that. In our weariness and in our weakness, the Lord says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't let weariness derail you from trusting God's promises. And if you find yourself today calloused, if you find yourself today a little bit bitter, if you find yourself today a little bit weak in your faith towards God, just remember, listen to me, it's not your faith that produces the promises. It's the divine power of the Almighty that brings it true. It's going to take divine power for God to work in our lives, and He does. And then the last point I give you today out of verses 17 through 19 is that faith finds refuge, finds safety in surrender. It says by faith in verses 17 and 19, by faith Abraham when he was tested offered up Isaac and he received the promise and yet he was offering his one and only son. Now stop right there. I think this is interesting by faith, we know that. We've, we've paid attention to that word before. When he was tested. 
Abraham, when you go back to the passages, when he was called, he obeyed, he went, he followed, he lived in tents, he did everything that God commanded him to do. And yet, Abraham was tested. Can I encourage you and I today to not be surprised at the testings of God in our life? I go on. When he was tested, he offered up Isaac. Now, you've got to understand who Isaac is. Isaac is the promise. Back to Genesis 12. He's the promise of the generations. And he was his one and only son. Now, understand, you know that, that Ishmael is in the picture. The Sarah, in her weakness of faith, her weariness of faith, went out and grabbed her maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to Abraham. They produced a child named Ishmael. So how can Scripture say of Isaac, his one and only son? What that passage means is his one and only son with promise. This was the one that was promised. Ishmael was not promised. Isaac was promised to, to, to him. And now the Lord goes, I want you to sacrifice him. He goes on in verse 18, this is the one to whom had it been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. And here's, a, here's Abraham's reasoning. He considered God to be able to even raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. Now, let me pause here. As far as we know, according to Scripture at this point in Genesis 22, there has not been a resurrection from the dead. There's not been the story of a resurrection from the dead. This seems to be a new idea. This is not anything that has been discussed according to what we know in Scripture. So here, take your Bibles, go back over to Genesis 22. You need to camp out there for just a moment. Probably one of, probably is my favorite chapter in Scripture. Genesis 22 and Philippians 2 would rank as two of my favorites. Genesis 22 is this famous story of the sacrifice of, of, of Isaac. And it starts there in verse 1, when God had tested Abraham. Now that ties us back to what we learned just a few minutes ago in Hebrews 11, doesn't it? But when Abraham had been tested, verse 20, 20, Genesis 22, 1, when God had tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, and all he did was call his name. And verse 2 of chapter 22, Abraham's response is what? Here I am. <laughs> Wonder how quick Abraham would have been to say, here I am, if he had known what the Lord was getting ready to test him on. Here I am. And the Lord says, take your son, your only son, and offer to him, him to me as a sacrifice. I don't have time. I, I wish I did to unpack this chapter. We'll come back and preach this chapter on another day. Is the Lord calling for pagan worship here? Pagan worship in that day, there was a God named Moloch. Moloch was this huge stone statue. He was built in such a way that his arms laid this way in a seated position. And they would heat Moloch up to thousands of degrees, incredibly hot. And then these, these people would lay their live babies on that hot stone. 
believing that they were being right in sacrificing their children to a dead god named Moloch. You understand, that's the culture. What, what is God saying? The Lord tested Abraham. Abraham goes, here I am. He says, take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him. Is the Lord calling for pagan worship here? Of course not. He goes on to say that Abraham gathered up his servants and he gathered up Isaac and they left to go on to their journey. You remember that? You get over to chapter 4, I think, maybe 4 or 5 of, the, of 22. Abraham stops with his servants and says, you all stay here. Me and my son Isaac and I, we are going to go and worship. You remember this? We are going to go worship. And what does he say? And we will come back. Now remember the command, we're going to go to worship because when you go to worship the Lord, Abraham, you're going to sacrifice your son Isaac. But according to Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham reasoned in his mind because of faith that in order for me to sacrifice the only son I have that, that has promise to it, the Lord has to raise him from the dead to keep his promises. So it makes sense to Abraham, we will go, we will worship, and we will come back. So they're on the journey, and can you imagine it? They're walking up the hillside, I think it's in, in verse 7, and Isaac says to dad, he says, hey, dad, we have the wood and we have the fire. He's thinking, man, dad has lost his mind. We have wood, we have fire, we have everything we need, but dad, where's the sacrifice? And in verse 8, Abraham says, son, the Lord will provide. See, there was comfort, there was safety, there was refuge, there was rest in believing the Lord would keep his promises. How are you resting today? You know the story. They get to the top of the mountain, they build the altar. We talk so much about Abraham's faith in this chapter, don't we? But what kind of faith did Isaac have to have? When dad comes to him and says, son, you're the sacrifice. And nothing in the story tells us that Isaac resisted. It simply says that he laid him down as a sacrifice. Can you imagine offering your hands to your dad and going, okay, I trust you. There's safety in sacrifice today, folks. There's refuge in sacrifice today. Old to have been on that mountaintop. The stone has been laid. The fire has been, been lit. The sun has been laid. The knife has been drawn. And it's one of my very favorite verses. And the Lord called out, Abraham. And you know what Abraham's response is? Here I am. It's the exact same response when it said and the Lord had tested Abraham and called him by name and his response was, here I am. And now in the, in the midst of his greatest trial, in his greatest point of trust and faith, all the Lord has to do is go, Abraham, and his response, and I'll bet it was a fast one, don't you? Here I am, Lord, speak. Here I am, tell me something. And it says... 
The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time, and he said, By myself I have sworn, this is the Lord's declaration, because, circle it, because you have done this thing, I have not withheld your only son. I will indeed bless you and make your offering as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your offspring will possess the gate, the city gates of their enemies. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. I want you to underline because your offspring will be blessed because you have obeyed my command. Scripture talks about sins of the father being visited in the third and the fourth generation. The opposite of that is also true. Faith of the fathers can be passed down to the third and the fourth generation. Are you building faith in your families? Are you passing on faith in your family? Are you teaching your family that no matter what the Lord says to do, your response is, here I am. Because there's always rest in the sacrifice. There's always comfort in the calling. There's always obedience. To just say, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. Let me see if we can put this in simpler handles for us to walk out of here with today. Just three things that may help summarize what we've studied. Here's the first one. In order to be earthly good, you and I are going to have to be heavenly minded. Some of you are going, he got that backwards. Have you ever heard the saying? They're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I'm going to tell you this morning, we get that statement wrong. If you want to have any earthly good and impact here, be heavenly minded. Does that make sense? You're living in a tent. You're only passing through. You're looking for the city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. If you want to point people towards heaven, you're going to have to look that way. You're going to have to be focused that way. If you want to have earthly good, then be heavenly minded. Scripture says, think on these things. Don't listen to the old wives' tale that if you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. If you're heavenly minded, if you're heavenly minded, you'll point people towards heaven. And that's earthly good. Number two. Anybody fill out, figure out the fill in the blank on this one? God's way is better than our way. Now talk to me, church. How many of you go, I know that. I believe that. I believe that God's way is better. Talk to me. Raise your hand. Anybody? I believe that God's way is better. And how many of you don't act like it sometimes? I got two hands up in the air. What I know and what I believe or what I know and what I practice sometimes are not in alignment. 
His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are better than our thoughts. That's what Isaiah tells us. He knows better. So when he says wait, wait. When he says trust, trust. When he says believe, do it. And when he says go, Because his ways are better. And number three, there's tremendous security in surrendering to the will of God. So many people live their life wondering what the will of God is for them. Rick Warren wrote a famous book years ago, The Purpose Driven Life. The subtitle of it is What on earth am I here for? I can tell you this morning with certainty, with absolute certainty and confidence that I know God's will for your life. What did you get so quiet in here for? God's will for our lives is quite simple. One, to know Him. Do you know Him today as Lord and Savior? Do you know Him today as your only hope and as your everlasting Savior? Do you know Him? That's God's will. He's not willing that any should perish. Does that make sense? So if you want to know God's will today, step one is give your life to Christ and receive the free gift that He provides that you cannot earn. That's God's will. And you go, okay, I've done that. What's, not, what's next? He says, love me. Love me. One way you're going to, the only way really you're going to, to practice loving God is by knowing God. In order to know God, you're going to have to get in this book. You're going to have to believe what he has said and what he has written and you're going to have to not just believe it in your head and heart but you're going to have to practice it with your hands and your feet. It's not going to do any good to walk into heaven with a lot of head knowledge. Okay. God's will for your life and mine is that we know him, that we love him and that we obey him. We obey him. Well, what if he asked me to do something I don't want to do? Folks, you've been asked to do stuff you don't want to do all your life. Isn't that true? Anyone ever asked you to do something you didn't want to do? Raise your hand. Come on, anybody? Then why are you upset at the Lord that he may ask you to do something you don't want to do? You've done it forever. His ways are better than our ways. His thoughts are higher than all thoughts. Go ahead and trust what he wants you to do. Let's get out of our own way. And let's practice Abraham and go, here I am. Here I am. I'll go. And I really don't care what the journey looks like. Because this world is not my home. I have a focus on heaven. I have a focus on eternity. You realize this this morning. Everyone's going to live somewhere forever. We get this exactly wrong. 
We don't start living when we're born. We start dying when we're born. Andrew and Mary, I'm looking at you back here, this sweet little baby. You realize, how old is he now? Seven, eight weeks? He didn't start living seven weeks ago. He started dying seven weeks ago because he has an expiration date. And when he stops living here, he doesn't die. He starts living. Because everyone's going to live eternally somewhere. You're going to live eternally with God or you're going to live eternally separated from God. But you're going to live eternally. Where's your focus? What's your plan? And my favorite question, do you know him? Father, I pray today that in this room, wherever, wherever we are, whatever condition you find us in, that our response to you today will be yes. For some, it's yes, they will accept the free gift of salvation. Some, it's yes, that they will stop trying to earn and work their way to heaven and they will trust in your good work, in your finished work, in your completed work. Would you draw those to you today that need to be saved? Father, would you do it right now? Help them to pray that prayer immediately. As Peter prayed, Lord, save me. For some of us in the room, we need an active, vibrant, obedient faith that no longer is just sitting on our hands and waiting hoping that this world gets better, but that our response is, yes, Lord. And we're willing to journey with you, Father, because heaven's our home and your presence is our promise and we look forward to it. The Spirit of God today, shake the dust off of us. Move us, unleash us, and help us to respond to your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.